I am, I'm still learning um, how, how Christmas works here at Jewel Lake Parish. I've only been here since March, so this is my first Christmas here. And I'm learning the things that, that need to get done, and usually I learn them by thinking of them a few hours before they're, they're scheduled to happen. And then it's like scurrying around. Did somebody take care of that for me because I didn't think of it? And sometimes they do and sometimes they don't. So I'm, I'm learning about Christmas here. But one thing I've observed at a lot of churches um, is that around Christmas, we tend to see a lot of guests. People are worshiping with us for, for a whole host of reasons. Sometimes it's because of their travel plans. They're, they're home visiting family or they're away. Family's visiting them or whatever it might be. Um, People, people who are away from their regular place of worship will come to churches that they are not uh, as comfortable in. Um, so that's one reason. The other reason is just because people get invited to church. They, they have a coworker or a friend or a neighbor, a family member perhaps, who invites them to church and so they come to church. It's, it's very common um, and I see it today happening here as well. So I, I want to extend again a welcome to you and assure you that you are welcome here because... I know that that's a question people have. People say, am I welcome here? And I want to assure you that, that you are. You're welcome at Jewel Lake Parish. And um, it's my sincere hope as pastor that everybody here makes you feel welcome. Um, we hear horror stories about the person who came to visit and then, and then was snubbed in some horrible way. And we go, oh, no. So um, I hope that you don't experience that. If you do, uh, just remember that, that um, the... The problem is not with you. The problem is with the person who did not make you feel welcome because Jesus wants you to feel welcome here. So um, you are welcome. But behind that is sometimes a deeper question, which is, should I be here? And, and oddly enough, this is an easy question for people who have no faith. If you are um, a person who is not religious, it's very easy to decide to come to church with somebody. You can just do it as a courtesy, right? You don't believe anything about the church but you can do it because mom or because your neighbor. It's just a nice thing to do. Okay, fine. But even then, even then you may be asking yourself, well, what if they do something that's uncomfortable? What if they start hooting and hollering or, or what if they, uh, dance around, you know, or, or whatever it is? Uh, you, you may say, well, what if they do something that's uncomfortable? Or, um, am I lending, am I endorsing? Am I lending my support to whatever it is that, that goes on in there? So even people who aren't religious can find reasons to, to be uncomfortable going to a church. But I think what, what they should realize, what most of us do realize, is that they're not the only ones who have questions about should they be here. There's all kinds of reasons people wonder should they be in church. Uh, they wonder, they wonder, um, uh, how long can you go before suddenly it becomes wrong to go to church? I, I was here in Easter, but I haven't been in a church in a long time. Is that okay? Should I be here? Is there something wrong about that? And again, if, if you're wondering that, the answer is yes, you are welcome here, and yes, you should be here. But other people have got deeper questions. They say, well, yeah, I've, I've been in church, um, but, but um, I'm divorced. And when I was a kid, uh, the preacher in my church said that that was wrong and that people who were divorced weren't welcome in my church. And so I've wondered, is that, is that the truth? Other people, other people wonder, well, uh, I'm not divorced, but the reason is because I never got married. Is, is it okay to be in church if, if that's the case? Other people say, well, well, we're married, but we didn't wait until we were married. Or other people say, well, I'm gay. Or they say, I think I might be gay. 
people have got all kinds of reasons, and they've got all kinds of things going in their head that make them wonder, is it okay to be in church? Sometimes people say, well, I, you know, as far as I know, I'm okay, but when I look at my life, it is such a mess that I have to wonder if God is unhappy with me. And so if God's unhappy with me, do I dare get any closer to God? Because then, instead of just making my life miserable, He can actually destroy me. So people, a, a lot of people have got questions like this when they come to church. They wonder, uh, not only am I welcome here, but should I be here? Should I be in this church? Excuse me. Hi there. Jaden knows how tasty the name badges are, so if you're not wearing yours, um, <laughs> you're missing out on giving her a treat. So, um, so uh, people wonder, is it is it okay to be in church? And the answer is yes. But then they wonder a deeper question, uh, should I be here anyway? And the answer is still yes. Um, and, and I tell you this not simply uh, because because I want you here, because I'm the pastor. I tell you because I've been on both sides. Twenty years ago, I was the person being brought to church. My, my In my case, it was a family member. My wife wanted me to come to church on special occasions like Christmas and Easter. And I didn't see any point in it except as a courtesy to Margot. So I did. I came to church, and I know that um, having been on both sides, I want you to realize that you are welcome here. Um, the reason is that it's not our church, and we don't get to set the rules. I don't mean us as individuals, but I mean people. Uh, we don't get to set the rules on the church. Jesus does because it's his church, and Jesus knows all of your story. He knows the things that make you uncomfortable in a church. He knows the things that make you happy in a church, and he says, I want you here. And the reason is because he wants you to know about God's love. He wants you to know that God loves you. God knows all the reasons you might have, all the tapes that are playing in your head that tell you why you might not be welcome in a church. And he wants you to know that God loves you despite that or um, because of that. Uh, God loves you and he wants to spend eternity with you. And the way he does that is by uh, giving you eternal life. Eternal life is not life after death. It is a new kind of life that continues after death. It's a life you receive when you first trust Jesus and you have it until uh, the end of eternity. So Jesus wants you to know you have that. But people say, well, yeah, but I don't know. I don't know about that. Is that true? Is, is it true that, that, I mean, I've heard that before. I've heard pastors say it, but I've also been in churches where it didn't seem to be the case. So, so who's right? Uh, I'm going to suggest we go to the Bible because because Jesus will tell us himself uh, whether or not it's true. Um, Jesus was having this exact conversation with a man named Nicodemus, and he was saying, he was saying, uh, I have come here to give new life, to give eternal life, this new kind of life that endures for eternity. And Nicodemus, as we began our reading, he said, he said, how can this be? Um, he said, I don't, I don't understand what you're getting at, Jesus. How could you be doing the things you say you're doing? And Jesus says, this is the problem God has. He says, if anybody should know, if anybody should know what uh, God is up to, it's Nicodemus. Nicodemus was an educated man. He knew his Bible. He knew it forwards and backwards. He, he literally had memorized it. He was, he was raised from a young age to, to know the Bible. 
he would have memorized it by the time he was 15, and then he would have been groomed and educated further so that he could become what he was, which was a top theologian in Israel. He was one of a small number of men who sat on the Jewish ruling council, which was kind of like a supreme court for the Jewish religion. And Jesus is talking to him, and Jesus says, says, I came to give you eternal life. And he says, I don't understand. How can these things be? And Jesus says, this is the problem that God has, is there's nobody who should know it better than Nicodemus, and even Nicodemus doesn't know. So, he goes on, he says, he says, very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I've told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven, after all, except the one who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. Now, the Son of Man is a term that doesn't mean much to us, but to Nicodemus it would have meant a lot, because it carries a whole lot of um, uh, connotations to different parts of the Bible that, that we may not be as familiar with, but Nicodemus knew very well. What Jesus is saying, I am the guy that the Bible talks about, the guy who is, who is going to be sent by God to reconnect us to God. So he says, the Son of Man has come down, I'm him. And then he says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, so that whoever believes in him have eternal life. So again, Jesus is appealing to Nicodemus' education. He's saying, you know about the Son of Man, you know about Moses. There was this incident in the wilderness when, when the people of God were being bitten by snakes and they were dying. And Moses was told by God, make a bronze snake, put it up on a stick, and God will save them. And that sounds kind of bizarre, um, except if you stop and think about it. You you know this story. Um, and the reason is because of this. This is the the star of life. You see it on ambulances all the time. And uh, the thing in the middle there is the rod of Asclepius, uh, who was this uh, Greek Greek character who carried a stick with a snake on it. So in the ancient world, for some reason, the the symbology of saving someone was was actually a snake on a stick. And people debate about why that was and so forth. The Bible says it was because, it was because, um, of this incident where Moses saved the people with a brass stick. I mean, a bronze, a bronze, uh, snake on a stick. But it was well known throughout the rest of the ancient world. So people, people had heard the story and they understood that's what it meant. It meant that Jesus is, is, is an ambulance driver. He has come to save people. He's showed up on the, on the accident scene and he's going to stop the bleeding and he's going to get people to the hospital. He's going to save them. That's what Jesus is saying to Nicodemus. He says, he says, just as Moses saved people with a snake, I'm going to save them too. I'm the ambulance driver. He says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that whoever believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. So that's, that's the agenda. He says, he says, I'm here. I'm driving the ambulance. My job is to save you. Um, I'm not here to condemn you, but there's a problem. People don't believe it. Even Nicodemus, who wants to believe it, who is educated and knows it all, doesn't believe it. He says, this is the problem. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment that light has come into the world. He's saying, Jesus, I, I Jesus, have come into the world, 
And people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. What is he saying here? He's saying, he's saying that people have been oriented in a way that makes them distrustful of God. Uh, it, it's like when you are uh, driving your car and you see a police, uh, a police vehicle in the, in the rearview mirror. Your first thought is probably not great. I'm a law-abiding citizen. It's always great to see that there are public safety officers handy. Right? I mean, uh, maybe a few of you feel that way, but most of us, we check our speedometer. Right? Right? We want to make sure we're not doing anything wrong. And Jesus says, that's our problem. He says, he says, we are oriented to think of God as, how is God going to punish me? And he talks about light and dark. And now I'm going to give you a, a vivid metaphor that, that you won't like, but, but, um, will stick with you. So, before I became a pastor, back 20 years ago, when I was the atheist sitting in the church wondering if I should be here, um, I was a programmer, and back in those days there was this program called X Roach. It was a buggy program, but not buggy the way you're thinking of, of bugs. It was a buggy program. Um, yeah, there's a picture of it. Um, uh, it's hard to find because I think it's creeped out so many people that it's kind of vanished. Um, but I found some images of it. Um, and, and what would happen is there would be little roaches or bugs that would be underneath all the windows on your computer display. And when you change their size or move them around or, or close the window, then they'd be exposed to the light and then they'd scurry for cover. And they'd run around your desktop and they'd, they'd act generally like, like bugs do. And it was kind of gross and, um, and so, you know, as a, something rather, that, that, that shows them running around. Um, uh, and it kind of, it, despite it being kind of gross, there was one more picture I think I've got of it. Um, uh, is that it? Okay, there should be one more. Oh, okay. Alright. It, it appeared on other platforms. But if bugs gross you out, okay, think of something else that behaves the same way. Think about cute little mice. Okay, they don't like they don't like the the light either. They they like darkness. Or maybe um, there's another kind of mammal. Um, okay. So so uh, whether it's your precious or or whether it's whether it's a mouse, whether it's a bug, Jesus is saying that's the problem we've got. Is that is that there's a God who loves us, but we are oriented to think of them the way a bug thinks of light, or the way a mouse or golem thinks of light. We don't want any part of it, right? We're like the person looking in the rearview mirror thinking, oh my goodness, what have I done? He says, that's the problem. And so even somebody like Nicodemus, who is well-versed in all of the scriptures of the Hebrew, of the Hebrew people, he knows about God, but deep down he cannot believe a message of good news. So what is God going to do? He says, he says, what can you do? How can God solve this problem? And the answer is, God becomes one of us. God becomes one of us golems, one of us mice, one of us bugs. God comes down, comes down into this dark world so he can tell us about God's love. Because otherwise, we would stay in the dark. He says, how can I tell you about earthly things, or if I've told you about earthly things and don't believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? Nobody else has been there, but I have. And I've come down 
so I can lift you up. That's what Jesus is saying. He's announcing here in this passage, far from the Christmas stories, what Christmas is all about. It is when God comes down to a dark world because we cannot stand the light. It doesn't mean, you know, think about bugs, right? Uh, Some of you are resisting this. Uh, I'm not saying you're as bad as could possibly be, right? There are perfectly fine, upstanding bug citizens, okay? There's There's a mayor of Bugville, okay, and everybody admires him. Uh, but the point is, he just doesn't like the light. Okay, Jesus is saying, there's perfectly nice people in Israel. They just can't believe that God truly loves them because they know the things that are going on in their head. They know about their past. They know about their baggage. They know the things that they've done wrong, and they cannot believe that when they see God in the rearview mirror, that he's not going to pull them over. That when they venture out into the light, that God's not going to step on them. And Jesus is saying, the only way I can convince you of that is by coming down here and becoming one of you. So he says, do you trust me? That's what Jesus is here to ask us. Do you trust that God loves us? Not because he's up in heaven telling us, trust me, I love you, come out of the light. You know, He's come down into the dark to be one of us. And to say, I love you. And if we do, if we do trust him, excuse me. He tells us, if we do trust him, then he will jump into our life and he will fix the parts that are broken and he will heal the parts that hurt. That's the promise that Jesus gives. So let me invite you to ask yourself, should you be here? That's the question Jesus asks all of us. Do we trust him? Do we come into the light risking that God will not step on us like a bug? Some of you made that decision long ago, and you know it's true. You have seen the way that God has been at work in your life. And you, you, could, you could tell people, here's the things that, that God has done for me. Uh, some of you have been in the light long enough now that that your eyes are beginning to adjust and you're beginning to see that there's a long road ahead before you can be the kind of person you'd like to be. But you can see that God is doing work in you. The Apostle tells us in his great wedding passage, the other familiar passage we heard today, um, he says, he says, three things abide. He says, faith. Faith is trusting that Jesus is who he says he is. He is the Son of Man. He's the one who came from God. He's the one who is the ambulance driver, God's ambulance driver. He says, faith is trusting that Jesus is who he is. Hope is trusting that he can do what he said he could do, that he would not, um, that he would not hurt you, but actually make you better. He would give you eternal life, this new life that makes it possible to be in the light of God's love. But he says, There's one other thing, love. Love of God. The love that God gives us before we deserve it and the love that we show for the God who loves us. And of these, the greatest is love. Amen.